This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello everyone, Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Hey, you want to sign up for the premium channel? Now's the time. Using promo code BOX. For 30 days, you get free premium content. To take advantage of that offer, go to theboxofoddities.com or the Himalaya app. Promo code BOX. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. I saw a Facebook post uh, today. A friend of mine posted a memory, and it uh, reminded me of a funny story. Can I tell you the story? I love stories. Okay. This was back uh, a number of years ago when we worked together, this friend of mine and, and I worked together at a radio station in Phoenix, and we were involved in what was called the world's largest indoor beach party. It was a... Um, you know, some it was a radio promotion. Okay. And we hired Bob Denver Gilligan. Okay. From Gilligan's Island. Sure. Who at the time lived in Vegas. And uh, we hired him to come down and make some guest appearances at the world's largest indoor beach party. Sure. That makes a lot more sense than inviting John Denver, who was who I pictured when you first said Bob Denver. No. And I was like, but he was more of like a mountain guy than a beach guy. Right. Okay, so thank you for clarifying. Certainly. So, as I said, uh, Bob Denver at the time, he lived in Las Vegas, and this was Phoenix, so it was a really short airplane flight. So to save time, he just put on his Gilligan suit and flew on the plane from Las Vegas to Phoenix, which when I when I realized that he did that, it immediately, I had to think, what were the passengers around him thinking? Like, we are screwed. Yeah, we're going down somewhere in the South Pacific, yeah. and we won't be rescued for at least seven seasons. <laughs> so anyway, he comes to do this uh, this indoor beach party, and it's uh, it's at a, at a big bar, and everybody is having a good time, including Bob Denver, who was um, smoking marijuana. Okay. As well as having a couple of beers. And then after the event, my friend and I, they we had a limo for Bob. And of we were t- taking him back to the airport. And he said he wanted to see the city before we, we left. 
So we took him up on Camelback Mountain, where as far up as you can go, there's a road on the south side. You go up and there's a nice overlook. And we get up in, in the limo parks and we get out and Bob has to go pee. So he wanders off to the edge of the parking lot, still in his Gilligan outfit, mm-hmm. and he's he's peeing in the desert. At that point, another car pulled up. Was it a police officer? No, it was not. It was just some kids out partying and they had to pee too. Sure. And they go over the same area and I just hear... Holy God, I'm peeing next to Gilligan. (laughs) Can you imagine how surreal that must have been? No. So in my life, I have seen Gilligan urinate. Sure. And I saw Captain Kangaroo's ass once. Yeah, so my life is full. I mean, yeah. It's full of wonderment and joy. (laughs) I appreciate that you take time to uh, reflect on those moments and appreciate that uh, you've had a really extraordinary life. Hey, you have to stop and smell the roses and occasionally let Gilligan out to pee. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's nice. That story just came f- rushing back to me today when I saw that Facebook. <laughs> sure. <calendar>. Anyway, <laughs> um, you go first. I do. Yeah, what you got for me? Oh, wow. Um, as uh, we've discussed, I'm having a really hard time getting back into the flow of things after mm-hmm. our trip. Right. Everything was so big and exciting, and I have so much laundry to catch up on, and uh, my house is a disaster zone, and I just feel like I'm not catching up. So anyway, this is not going to be great. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love that upfront disclaimer. <laughs> Well, I remember we talked about uh, this sort of during a thing in the middle once, and I thought it was really interesting. So I thought it would be fun to um, be dive a little deeper. And so here we go. Here are some interesting jobs that maybe you didn't know were a thing. Okay, great. Cool. So uh, let's talk first about the information security consultant, which sounds like a pretty boring job. Uh, but actually, these are the people, and and I've heard about them, you know, movies and TV and stuff. They are the people who are hired to break into buildings. They're the high, the oh, people yeah. who yeah. Uh, companies hire to see if they can uh, get past their security. A lot of times, casinos will like, hire like them. Danny Ocean. Exactly. Okay. Yes, except he wasn't hired to do it. He was just doing it. Um. But yeah, we should continue our Oceans Marathon. That was fun. Yeah, we've been seriously remiss. Oh, for sure. So basically, businesses hire these people to break into their buildings and steal their things as a way to test their security. And it actually is a job. And if you have a degree in information management, uh, you can make, well, I mean, you can, the sky's the limit. Sure. Depending on who hires you. Right. Um, and what's the, uh, the, the title again? Because it sounds very official and fancy. Information Security Consultant. Now, keep in mind, there's also an online version of this, which is called an ethical hacker. Um, a white hat. So, the, yeah, those are the, the people who are hired to hack into things to see if things are hackable. <laughs> um, it's also known as legal hacking, and they are paid by the company uh, to continually attempt to hack their systems and identify where those weaknesses are. Sure. Which is important. Okay, moving on. A technical illustrator. Okay. People who are artistic, may, but don't get bored really easily, uh, might 
be interested in this. Yeah, so if you are uh, great at drawing but maybe don't have that, like, internal desire to create um, well, maybe you maybe you do. I don't know. I don't want to be judgy about this. Technical illustrators basically draw the images that accompany instruction booklets and manuals, like like the treadmill I just put together for you yes. today. That, see, now that's so weird that you brought that up because I was going through this technical book of how to you know put the dang thing together, <laughs> and and I'm looking at the exploded version of the um, of the treadmill where every nut and bolt has been accounted for. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, somebody had to draw this. Yeah. E- even if it was computer generated, somebody had to to do a CAD drawing of mm-hmm. this and and make it a thing. And, and it's so weird that you brought that up, like, I don't know, half an hour after I finished uh, hurting myself badly putting that together. Oh, you did not. I did. Look, I'm bleeding right there. Right there. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Actually, it's Should just... we be recording right now? Should we... Go to the hospital? I feel a little woozy from blood loss. Okay, it's just a paper cut from the cardboard box, (laughs) which is stupid. But anyway, go ahead. So, okay. So you can use your artistic skills. And if you're cool with drawing very technical things, you know, then that's a great opportunity to, to utilize any sort of artistic talents or, you know, an art degree that maybe you're having a hard time utilizing elsewhere, uh, which I get. And I think that these are probably in higher demand than maybe we think they are. You know, working uh, my my side job, as I call it, uh, I come across assembly guides constantly sure. that are terrible. Really? Uh, terrible. You can see I have on many occasions seen hand-drawn, photocopied <laughs> Assembly instructions that are like, put this in this. Uh-huh. It's like somebody hired somebody on Fiverr. Something like that. <laughs> to, to put it together. Yeah, yeah. But they actually were five. Yeah, so, right. Yeah. yeah, they were actually five years of age. Correct. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, But I thought that was kind of cool. I never considered before that somebody had drawn that. I mean, except for when I've seen terribly drawn ones, and I'm like, okay, obviously, <laughs> the guy who built the chair was like, all right, also, just screw the legs on. Put these on here. <laughs> And he hated that he had to do it. And his wife was like, just do it, Gerald. And he was like, oh, you do it. And she's like, I'm not the one who built the chair. I don't, I'm not responsible for this. I don't right. do it. And so he just grabs his crayons and dashes off a quick illustration. <laughs> Happens all the time. All the time. Anyway, uh, I'm sure Gerald builds great chairs. Yeah, Gerald's chairs are fine. He's a creator of fine home furnishings. <laughs> all right. Hippotherapist. Wait a minute. No, that's too easy. Go ahead. So hippotherapist uh, works in incorporating working with horses into medical patients' treatment plans. And I've heard about this in like rehabs. Uh, Like rehab clinics uh, sometimes will work horses into um, their therapies. Sure, yeah. um, Because it's a really wonderful thing for patients to have to care for something else. Of course. Um, because they've stopped caring for themselves. Mm-hmm. So, and But it's weird they call it a hippotherapist. Shouldn't they be taking care of hippos? Well, I think it has something to do with the Greek word for horse or something like that, which is why hippos are called hippos, I think, because I think they're like Water, river horses. River horses. Yeah. 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 So. Okay. That's. Uh, okay. Yeah. Did you get there? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So 
According to the American Hippotherapy Association, which is a thing, um, the <laughs> average horse walks at a rate of approximately 100 steps per minute. And so five minutes on a walking horse represents 500 neuromotor inputs in a patient. So if you're riding on a horse, you're getting those neuro inputs. Oh. You're, you know, your body is obviously taking in that information. Really? And that can be helpful in physical therapy. It can be helpful with speech language pathology, which I don't understand at all. But apparently, hippotherapy is used very often in speech language therapy. That's incredible. I know. I want to understand it, but I don't. Um, So anyway, they're just key neuromotor systems that support functions that, that horses can really be helpful with, which is neat. It's Horses are neat. <laughs> anyway, love you right along. Professional snuggler. What kind of a degree does one have to have to be considered professional? I don't think that you have to have a degree to be a professional mm-hmm. um, in mm-hmm. any field. Sure, that's that's true. Technically, that is true. Snuggling. Mm-hmm. Where? What is the line where it stops being snuggling and starts being you, you start being a sex worker? Well, um, I think as long as there's no genital touching or groping or anything like that, then it wouldn't be. Well, what fun is that? You don't you don't find any joy in just cuddling. Interesting. I'm learning so many new things just now. (laughs) Apparently, there's no good touching unless it's getting you off. Great. What's your point? Janet Trevino is a professional snuggler. So the job is to platonically snuggle with clients in a what's called a cuddle session. Mm-hmm. And the cuddle session is usually conducted in a specific place, like they have a studio for cuddling. You can chat, you can have a meal. In in those situations, that feels to me kind of like geisha work. Sure. You know, the okay. the, the meals and the chats and the having the, you know, um, but then there is the cuddle time. As long as it stays platonic, it's a cuddle session. Conventionally, uh, cuddle artists, which is a term that I just made up, can get, you know, whatever whatever they demand as far as, I don't know. Enough. It doesn't mean anything. Okay. Why are you trying to read stuff into everything all the time? Well, because why you said, it, I'll bet, and what, your eyebrows went way up, what, and you made a joke face. Why? I've seen your joke face. That's not my joke face. I know your joke face. You have no idea what my joke face is. I know your joke face because we've done more than cuddle. Not recently. We, 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 we haven't We're not even, talking about this. You're cutting this out. We, we haven't even been able to keep up with the laundry. <laughs> so um, Janet, for instance, works in San Antonio, and she charges $80 an hour. She spends about 20 hours a week cuddling. And uh, she started in 2016 as a part-time snuggler and realized that there was an overwhelming demand for her services. Hmm. So, yeah, she's got a cuddle website. She scuttles her cuddle patients. <laughs> she does, does she? She schedules her cuddle patients and does her cuddling. Wow. She's, a, she's a self-made woman. I, I like it. I think that's amazing. I was thinking how neat that is. And if there's, it seems like a great opportunity for the right person. I don't think I would be great at that because like half the people that came to me and were like, I'd like to cuddle. I would be like, you get out. Yeah. I wouldn't um, even get in your car. Because I'm very. <laughs> <laughs> and that's assuming that I knew you, which I don't. Right. Yeah. All right. So professional sleeper. Hmm. Yeah. 
Oh, for like sleep studies. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sleep studies or for NASA, it is the literal dream job. <laughs> right? Dream. Right? Because it's dreaming. <laughs> yeah. um, interestingly enough, the salaries uh, for professional sleepers do vary based on experience, which I think is insane because (laughs) (laughs) the only people who don't have experience are insomniacs. So in this case, the lazier you are, the higher your salary rate should be. Right, exactly. This is perfect. Uh, There's a guy named Pat Phillips. He's from Boston, and he is uh, paid to participate in sleep research projects for area hospitals. Um, Helsinki Hotel, for example, hired a professional sleeper to test out beds and Hmm. uh, rate their experience sleeping in the hotel. Last year, mattress firm advertised their snooze turn position. Uh... They were looking for someone who would get paid to sleep. Uh, The ad said, you'll test the optimal head and foot positions on our new selection of available adjustable bases for Netflix binging, Instagram posting, reading, typing, eating, anything that would be better in bed. Also would be visiting their various stores uh, while working. Responsibilities also included posting about your sleep experiences on social media platforms. It is a paid internship, technically, according to Mattress Firm, and uh, required at least a a 20-hour-a-week commitment. I could do that. I feel strongly that I could do that. I nap 20 hours a week easily. Yeah, pretty close. Really close. Yeah, pretty close. Yeah. And what's the the official title for this again? Uh, For a mattress firm specifically, they called it a snooze turn. Like an intern, but a snooze turn. Yeah, that's not as fancy as uh, some of the other ones. We were talking to somebody in the airport on our way back from from the tour and they so what do you what do you do and and i i don't want to say podcaster you know because it just sounds dumb there's nothing wrong with being a podcaster no there's nothing wrong with it but it's like podcaster and then you've got to explain what that is to many people Mm -hmm. Um, that's true so so i i've decided that what we do Mm -hmm. is we're um senior communication strategists oh okay okay What about uh, information transmission technician? It rhymes. It does. Easy to remember. Yeah. I like it. Word doer guy. <laughs> Professional word doer guy. Yeah. Okay. Now we're now we're getting somewhere. Yeah. Okay. I feel like I really really got that taken care of. Mm-hmm. Whoop. Anyway, that's done. Those are some weird jobs. What's the weirdest job you've ever had? The weirdest job I've ever yeah, had in your existence as a human on this plane of reality that we call this plane of reality well i've raked blueberries Mm -hmm. bus tables yeah mowed graveyards that's a great job we've talked about that weighted tables i oh i was a uh, golf cart bartender for a summer Oh, yeah. So, that was fun. So you would drive around with alcohol in the golf cart and yep. sell it to the golfers. That was a blast. I'll bet that was hugely rewarding. It really was. Yeah. Weirdest job I ever had, I picked potatoes. Growing up in northern Maine, it's, mm. you know, the next to Idaho, it's like the potato capital. Um, and yeah, it's like a rite of passage. Uh, not so much anymore because they have machinery that does it now. But um, 
they would let school out for three weeks in the fall for the kids to go out into the fields and help the farmers bring the uh, the crop in the potatoes, sure. and it was hard work. Oh yeah. I mean, you're 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 dragging these big heavy baskets of potatoes around from field to field, and you always have to move your liquor so the tractor won't run over it. It's yeah. you know it's harrowing. It really is. I feel like picking potatoes and raking blueberries has to be a very mm. similar experience for a Maine child. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. I remember every year raking blueberries, I would get a sunburn so bad that the whole top layer of my skin would just come off. And I never learned to wear sunscreen. There's something wrong with me. Multiple things. I there are multiple things wrong with me. I love you the way you are. I love you just the way you are. That's lovely. Thank you. And now, that thing in the middle. Today's thing in the middle, a list that we found on Thrillist, uh, one of my new very favorite websites. Crazy things that have been shoplifted successfully slash unsuccessfully. Number five, 66 sticks of deodorant all at once. A stinky shoplifter. Number four. A man from Florida once attempted to steal a chainsaw by sticking it down his pants. Oh. Hey, is that a lumbering tool in your <laughs> pants? Or... Yeah, yeah. You know. Number three. A Christmas tree. An eight-foot Christmas tree. I doubt that they tried to stuff that in their pants, but who the hell knows? Sure. Number two. Crawfish tails, <laughs> specifically eight packs of frozen crawfish tails, totaling $75. Hey, Louisiana, thinking of you. And number one, high-end vacuum cleaners. According to a report published by ABC, one of the most shoplifted high-end items are high-end vacuum cleaners. I buy it. Hey, excuse me, sir. Um, is that a Roomba in your pants? How many times can we use that joke? Pants is just funny. Yeah. yeah. You know what? Thievery sucks. Because vacuums. Mm-hmm. Sucks. Sucks. Yeah. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something, if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? <sighs> Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month 
free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids and they live about 3,000 miles away. And my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the Aura Frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout and you will save thanks aura frames for bringing my family a little bit closer hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All stories on the Box of Oddities are true, and some of them actually happen. Got an email from Darren who said he found us uh, by hearing us on Jim Harold's podcast, and he started listening at episode number one. He's a law enforcement official. He said... Uh, Last night, 2 a.m., I'm on patrol, very rural area. I pulled into a dark parking lot to finish some paperwork while listening to you guys. At the end of the podcast, and the credits dude has finished speaking, Jethro will often play some sort of open mic thing. We put little Easter eggs in there. Little Easter eggs from time to time. Sometimes I don't know about them until I'm listening. And then I'm like, oh, good. Thank you for saving that little nugget of me sounding like an idiot. You're welcome. He goes on to say, I turned up my radio and my cruiser so I could hear it. And I was streaming from my phone onto the auxiliary plug-in line. Then it goes into the next episode at full volume. I haven't had my wits scared out of me like that in a long, long time. I jumped out of my cruiser seat. I looked around. My heart was racing. My leg hit my radio call mic. And I screamed in a high-pitched scream like a little girl. (laughs) Everyone back at the station laughed after I had to explain what happened and why I had screamed. And it went out over the radio. And all of our radio calls are recorded. (laughs) I seem to be a big hit at the control center. (laughs) That's amazing. Love you guys trying to catch up with recent podcasts, but enjoying the early ones as well. Oh, and he says he was stationed at Loring Air Force Base back in the 80s here in Maine. Glorious. Thanks, Darren. 
I belong to a group on Facebook of uh, people who enjoy listening to podcasts who are located here in Maine. And one of the people also in that group posted the other day, y'all, I fucked up today. I work at a preschool. It was nap time. And my boss came over to the classroom next door and looked at me and said, hey, do you have your Bluetooth on? And I was like, "Uh, yeah, probably. Sorry. And she said, do you have a podcast playing? And my heart sank. (laughs) My phone had connected to the CD player in the classroom. She was cool and said it was probably something that she would be listening to as well. However, the moment I walked through the door and I heard the podcast playing (laughs) and the host said, the fucking bodies, I realized it was playing the last podcast on the left. Oh, my. So the children learned a lot that day. I they did. I I have to say, I love this group of people and their stories delight me so. (laughs) Okay, so it's my turn. Here we go. Are you ready? Ready. Okay. In the early 20th century, people were often locked up in uh, asylums for really any reason at all. Right. Being a lady. Being a lady in many times, in many cases, that uh, earns you the right to a padded cell. Sure. One of the diagnoses that they used for committing people was, quote, feeble-mindedness. Mm-hmm. Feeble-minded. It was. It's kind of a broad category. Um, A little catch-all for things that we don't like. Yep. And according to Ranker, I'm getting this from Ranker, it was defined as anyone who demonstrated any kind of abnormal behavior. Sure. So (laughs) pretty much you and I and every one of you freaks probably- (laughs) We'd all be locked up. We'd be all locked up, but we'd be together. (laughs) Something. Mm -hmm. I would play checkers with you during uh, activity time. Thanks. I'd share my crackers with you. Thank you. Other reasons were low scores on IQ tests. People who were termed feeble-minded were also linked to lots of other things like social dependency, criminality, even promiscuity. And so they had to come up with a solution for this back in the day. This is how do we how do we contain this feeble-mindedness? Well, eugenics. Sure. Uh-huh. Eugenics promised a solution to these problems by ensuring that people who were deemed feeble-minded could not reproduce and then continue to pollute the genetic pool of humanity. Oh, this is rough. I can already tell. The argument claimed that science could provide social and economic benefits to society by identifying feeble-mindedness or unfit people and stopping them from reproducing. So in 1914, a guy named Harry Laughlin, he was a eugenicist. He was the head of the eugenics record office, and he had an idea. Eugenical sterilization laws. Sure. Yeah, that would stop the feeble-minded. We'd just go snip, snip, and, you know, that's all it would take. He described the category of feeble-mindedness, again, even more broadly than perhaps a lot of the doctors who committed people for Mm feeble-mindedness. He said they are socially inadequate people who were maintained wholly or in part by public expense. And that is, okay, yep. Laughlin included uh, the feeble-minded in this category, along with uh, the insane, the criminalistic, the inebriate, diseased, epileptics, blind people, deaf people, deformities, and any type of dependencies. He argued that these conditions were genetic, 
and that we should cut that tree off. He also targeted orphans. If you didn't have parents, then, right. you know. Probably you don't deserve to live. Yeah. What he termed, he, he termed ne'er-do-wells, <laughs> tramps, the homeless, and paupers, claiming that uh, they were corrupted and should not be allowed to procreate. Sure. There was even a chart that he made. Oh, I usually like charts. You know, you're not going to like this one. Nope. The lowest level he called an idiot. And all they were interested in was self-preservation. Okay. Then the next step up was low-grade imbecile. And they, <laughs> and they were good for simple menial work. Okay. Then the next step up, medium imbecile. Simple manual work. That's what they're good for. Another step up, high-grade imbecile. You could do complex manual work. And then the highest level is moron. And they could do work requiring reason and judgment, but they were still morons. I feel like I'm a high-level imbecile. Really? I think that's where I would fall into that category. Like, I can do pretty complex work. You're also capable of critical thinking, so maybe you're a moron. Don't sell yourself short, sweetie. So he used this um, example, the dangers of feeble-minded people in the, in the genetic pool. A guy named uh, Martin Kalakak. He was an American Revolutionary War soldier, and he had children by two different women. One was an upstanding woman. She was a Quaker, and she had seven, quote, worthy children, according to his family records. A 1912 book written by eugenicist Henry Herbert Goddard said, These descendants became respectable citizens, men and women prominent in every phase of life. But Martin also had kids with a feeble-minded tavern girl, and their son became known as, quote, Old Horror. And he went on to have 10 children, creating a disreputable disreputable ancestral line. Um, He said they were the lowest types of human beings. They were unfit. To be people. So basically he was using these anecdotes as uh, data. Yeah, as an argument to get the courts to pass a law to allow governments to sterilize Right. There was this one guy against their will. And he had a bunch of kids with one woman and those were all good kids. And then he had a kid with this other woman and that kid had a bunch of kids, but those kids weren't good kids. So obviously I should get to rule who has children and not. That was his argument. So in March 1924, Virginia passed a law known as the Eugenical Sterilization Act. Now, it said that individuals confined to state institutions could be sterilized. And they specifically named those afflicted with hereditary forms of insanity, idiocy, feeble-mindedness, or epilepsy. If you're violent and insane, Mm -hmm. or also if you're affected by flashing lights. You got to be snipped. On the very same day, Virginia passed the, quote, Racial Integrity Act. Uh, These two acts targeted the feeble-minded and banning whites from marrying non-whites. They were both supported by, quote, scientific arguments based on eugenics. Both laws, of course, used pseudoscience uh-huh. and stories about Revolutionary War soldiers sleeping with tavern girls sure. in order to marginalize the rights of these groups. Now, Virginia wasn't the only state that passed laws like this. Indiana passed uh, the first sterilization law. Many other states did as well. That allowed the state to give vasectomies to prison inmates who prevent, uh, to prevent transmission of uh, degenerate traits. Oh, Lordy. Now, don't get me wrong. Like, I... 
I also think that I should get to determine who gets to have children and who does not. Yeah. So I get this. Mm-hmm. I just, I For also. For different reasons. Right, exactly. Right. Yeah. But I also understand that I don't get to decide it. Like, I think I should be able to, but I also know. Child I don't molesters. Get to. Right. Yeah. You don't, you don't get to have any of those. Right. If you've ever considered sex with a whale, then I don't think you should be able to have children. How is that anatomically possible? I don't know. It was just an animal that came to my brain. I see. During the nearly 70 years that sterilization was legal in Indiana, about 2,500 people were sterilized against their will. The Supreme Court case that determined whether Virginia's sterilization law was legal was the Kerry Buck case. So eugenicist Harry Laughlin prepared a report on her genetic fitness for the courts, trying to determine if the state's actions were legal. So Laughlin said that Carrie had, quote, mental defectiveness uh, with a mental age of about nine years. Uh, She had a record during life of immorality, prostitution, untruthfulness. These are quotes. She had an, an illegitimate child who was also declared a mental defective at only six months of age. He was very clear that Carrie Buck had no redeeming qualities. He said, quote, this girl comes from a shiftless, a shiftless, ignorant and worthless class of people. Um, that whole phrase that was just used is a real indicator that you're not great at deciding things. Yeah. When you just issue a statement about a whole class of people. This, as I said before, went all the way to the Supreme Court. Buck versus Bell in 1927. Oh, my gosh. This makes me feel very nostalgic for uh, witch stories about my hometown. Bucksport and Bell Witch? Yeah. They're not tied together, but those two words together triggered. Okay. Yep. Witch stories. But here's the truth about Carrie Buck. You heard his description mm-hmm. in his court filings. It was very different from what his proclamation said. Laughlin... Never even met Buck. Carrie was born to a woman named Emma Buck, and she was unable to support her child, so she placed Carrie in foster care. Carrie grew up with her foster family, the Dobbs, living a normal life. She attended school. She did chores. She sang in the church choir. And when she was 16, a nephew of Dobbs raped Carrie and got her pregnant. The rape gave uh, Harry Laughlin an excuse to call Carrie a prostitute. Sure. Who led an immoral life and had an illegitimate child. Rather than deal with this out-of-wedlock pregnancy, the foster family had Carrie committed, claiming that she was, quote, feeble-minded. Mm-hmm. They couldn't afford to deal with it, I guess. What it comes down to is Carrie was poor, pregnant, and had a sixth-grade education, uh, which fit the stereotypes that they were trying to push forward of her being a shiftless youth. The institution claimed that Carrie, her mother, and her six-year-old daughter were feeble-minded and that they were social burdens. And if you don't have to take care of a woman who is the victim of a crime as a society, why would you want to? The case of Buck versus Bell came before the Supreme Court, as I said, in 27. The justices read the trial transcripts from the original trial at the state level in the appeals court trial. Based on those sources, without meeting Carrie Buck, Supreme Court justices voted 8-1 to one to uphold Carrie Buck's sterilization. It came down to the state's right to take away the citizen's ability to procreate. Carrie Buck was sterilized against her will. Oliver Wendell Holmes, who was Chief Justice, wrote, 
the majority opinion. He declared that, quote, Carrie Buck is a feeble-minded white woman and the daughter of a feeble-minded mother and the mother of an illegitimate feeble-minded child. The Virginia state law, according to Holmes, argued that uh, the, quote, welfare of society, end quote, allowed the state to sterilize defective persons who, if now discharged, would become a menace. Well, a, yeah, I'd be a fucking menace, too, if I had been sterilized against my will and held in a goddamn institution because I had been raped and I was an embarrassment to my foster family because <laughs> my mom gave me up because apparently I was just too much of a burden. Oh, my God, I would be a menace, too. Holmes went on to say three generations of imbeciles are enough. Oh, my God, you're enough. The Supreme Court case determined that it was legal for them to do that. In Virginia, nearly 8,000 people were sterilized between 1924 and 1979. No, stop it. Half of them were deemed mentally ill. The other half were called mentally deficient. State law that allowed sterilization at institutions remained in place until 1979, in spite of protests. And in the 70s, there were a lot of protests. They were deemed unworthy or unfit to procreate by society. Across America, more than 60,000 people were sterilized by the government. Whoa. Carrie Buck's own sister was sterilized without her knowledge in 1928. The officials, uh, state officials in Virginia told her that the operation would remove her appendix. And while they were in there, they just, uh, they yanked her uterus out. She didn't find out until 1980 that she had been sterilized against her will. Oh my Christ. She said, Are you kidding me? She said, I broke down and cried. Well, of course. My husband and me wanted children desperately. We were crazy about them. I never knew what they'd done to me. That, of course, is a quote. As for Carrie... She ultimately was paroled from the institution and lived until 1983. The Supreme Court ruling, Buck versus Bell, has never been overturned. Are you fucking kidding me? It's still a law. The end. That's disgusting. <laughs> are you okay? Oh my God, are you all right? I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I've said you shouldn't be allowed to procreate. And I've said it a lot, like in parking lots and stuff. Right. Um, but I don't, you know, I don't actually, I mean, I kind of do, but like not, yeah, right. not in. It's only, a tough one, isn't it? It is a tough one. Right. Because like, you know, there are parking lines for a reason, <laughs> you know, and I just feel like. If you can't adhere <laughs> to the parking lines then you should not be able to procreate. Oliver Wendell Holmes would agree. You degenerate. I just, oh. <laughs> all right. Oh. That's all I got for you. That's enough, I think. Well, it's, again, it's, I mean, how many examples do we need in history of people saying, no, woman, you shouldn't get to decide about you and your body and well, your, you they know, were doing over it to, and over they again. They were doing it to men, too. Yeah, well. But this case was was a female, Buck versus Bell. That was a landmark case. Right. But they were snipping guys nuts, too. You know, they were they were doing the thing with the thing and the snips. Right. And the ow. Oh, it wasn't that bad. I had to go twice. I know. No. First time I broke out into a sweat. <laughs> Things went, went back up inside. Yeah. I went to get my vasectomy. <laughs> and this is the best 
story. It's not the best story. It's I went so in. good. So I dropped him off. And I go in and they're like, here, put this warm pad down there so they'll all be, you know, loose and available. Soft and loosey-goosey. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so I'm like, I'm okay, fine. And then they came in and they like, they put, I don't know what it was, but they just grabbed my scrotum and then they... They put like rubber bands around it or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it was, but something to, to kind of clamp. And my body wasn't having it. Yeah. And so they just kind of both went, nope, and made a run for it. Mm-hmm. And then they couldn't, you know, they couldn't do it because they weren't all loosey goosey. They weren't accessible. No. Yeah. So I got a call like 12 minutes after I left <laughs> the, the facility. Mm-hmm. And they were like, um, can you come pick up your husband? Um, I was feeling queasy. It was glorious. Yeah. I, I came in. I was like, you okay there, buddy? Yep. I'm fine. <laughs> okay. We'll try again. It's yeah. okay. But. No big deal. I did go back. You sure did. And the doctor said, you know what? Nine out of 10 people who leave mm-hmm. never come back. You did a great job. So I went back and that- I. And I sucked it up. Yeah. Well, they did give you some prescription drugs to take before you that came back. That was the only reason I went, yeah. <laughs> was to get the prescription drugs. And then everything was fine. Thanks, prescription drugs. Okay, I'm done telling stories today. We love you guys. We look forward to seeing you again next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so... Let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Henceforth, the box of oddities commits to the telling of stories, stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash Box of Oddities Podcast On Twitter at Box of Oddities And Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast Copyright 2019, all rights reserved Okay, so we talked about there being an Easter egg But I don't have one Do you have anything that you should, you want to say? Um, you know, as an Easter egg thing? No. Okay. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend, the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.